Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of a Frugal Athlete Podcast. Today, we got a very special guest, someone I had the fortunate pleasure of meeting through a mutual contact. When I say the power of networking is real, the power of networking is real. We have Jason Madsen here, former collegiate athlete, now financial coach. So I'm excited because he hits the best of both worlds. You know, everything that we talk about with the Frugal Athlete, the world of sports, but also the world of finance. So Jason, how are you doing today? I'm Obi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing great. It's a terrific day. Oh, most definitely. I know we talked offline. Uh, congratulations on uh, your son finally starting kindergarten. Uh, Thank you. I wanted to pay my respects there. But for someone that doesn't know Jason Madsen, who are you? Man, let's see. I am a husband, a father, a friend, a Christ follower. And I just love networking and meeting people. I love helping people get on a plan with their money. And I love winning. I hate losing. But let's see. (laughs) I think I love winning more than I hate losing. So <laughs> now what I loved about how you set that up is you didn't talk about what you do. You know, you didn't talk about, oh, I was a former collegiate athlete, you know, almost went to the big leagues. I'm a financial coach. You talk about who you are as a person, husband, father, Christ follower, networker, and almost a facilitator. You're helping people win. So I think that's really great advice. And I love how we we're going to start off the show talking about that versus you know, uh, I played sports and because that's what, as you know, that's where a lot of athletes struggle. So can you talk about, was it always like that? Did you always understand like your identity was more than what you do or the sport you played? No, that's something that I had to learn over time, you know, because at the end of the day, you, people want to talk about themselves. They mm-hmm. want to talk about what they're achieving in life. They want to talk about what they're doing, what's happening in their world. and you automatically gravitate to, oh, this is who I am. This is what I do. And that's part of who I am. But that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. You can be an athlete, but you can also be all those other things. And having the mindset reshaped, you know, rethinking, okay, eventually I can get to that, but keeping it broad, just saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. And eventually they become so intrigued because you give them a little bit and then you wait a little while and then they say, well, what about this? And then you start asking questions and it becomes a conversation. And then at that point they say, you know what? I I feel like I struggle with that. I feel like I resonate with that. And then it's like, well, would you like help with that? (laughs) Exactly. I love that. So let's let's get into your, your, your career as an athlete. Can you talk about what it was like as a you know, as a collegiate athlete and then transitioning into, you know, what you do now? Yeah. So I actually walked on, uh, I played baseball at Azusa Pacific. So local, uh, here in California, Southern California. And I, great, great program, by the way. Yes. Yes. Great they've program. expanded and they've done really well over the past 15 years. I can't believe I graduated 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, I walked on as a, as a freshman um ended up injuring myself trying to impress the the coaches mm-hmm. so i ended up doing a, a red shirt freshman year and 
as I was going through training, strengthening, conditioning, I came back sophomore year, which was technically my first athletic year. And I was a pitcher, right-handed pitcher. I would strengthen my core, strengthen my arm, run constantly, not just for conditioning, but punishment too, right? <laughs> As yeah, everyone knows. Um, but, you know, I, I, I grew as a person and an athlete while going through that program. There were several coaches that were mentors in my life. And I learned more about baseball, more about life, you know, just being a, a good citizen, a good person, uh, as well as doing a little deeper dive into my walk with with Jesus. And it was just a, the best four years of my life. Um, I didn't end up playing all four years due to injury as, as a pitcher. I'm sure a lot of people out there can resonate. Um, it wasn't Tommy John. I actually had a torn labrum, Ooh, but yeah, bone on bone, right? Uh, that might be worse. Oh. Sorry. And it's always really painful when I was throwing, but ha eventually had to make a, a difficult decision to hang the cleats up, as they say. Yeah. And as two o'clock rolls around when your coach is expecting you, you know, we had a, had a conversation beforehand said, hey, I want you here the rest of the season if you show up to practice the next day. Otherwise, if you don't, then we know your character. We know who you are go ahead and go make a good life for yourself and two o'clock rolls around and I'm still sitting on the couch. And so I think <laughs> apparently I'm not showing up for the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can you talk about like, once you make that decision, what, like what happens next? Cause a lot of athletes have that moment, whether it's injury, whether it's father time in terms of, you know, not being able to keep up, whether it's, you know, coaching decision, that moment is going to end in sports, whether we like it or not. What was your mindset immediately after making the decision? And then what action step did you take to avoid the, the troubling statistics around the transition for athletes, whether it's professional or collegiate? Oh, that's a great question, Olivia. So mindset, let's, let's start there and then we could talk about next steps. Yeah. My mindset was all over the place. I was frustrated that I couldn't play anymore. I was upset because it was something that I had done for 20 years. It was almost a part of who I was and, yeah. and the identity that I had created for myself. I'm a baseball player, I'm a pitcher. And sitting there, looking at the clock, watching two o'clock hit, even further on, as my roommates started to get back from, from classes, they said, I thought you had practice. I said, oh, I, I didn't go. So I guess I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> And so, so the mindset was, well, what do I do with my free time now? Because yeah. on the field, you're not thinking about the next thing. You're thinking about how do I get better at practice, better so I can be better at the next game, the next match, whatever. And you're just blank. You're thinking, what do I, where do I go from here? What do I do now? And. That's when I started opening myself up to different opportunities that wouldn't have presented themselves if I was on the field. And so off the field, I was able to go flying commercially for the first time. I was 22. And that was interesting, right? Yes. Uh, I was able to volunteer more um, at a food bank, 
you know, singing, you know, choir songs to hospice patients, etc. Um, and just having more in-depth conversations with people at lunches, over coffee. I didn't drink coffee, but I sat with them and chatted with them over coffee. And the, the, the transition is eventually you do get over it. Eventually you say, okay, I'm no longer an athlete. I have to redefine myself. Yeah. And what does that look like? So being open to those opportunities, to networking, to building your new network, your new you know system of contacts that you want to be part of, you invest your time to have conversations with the people you want in your life. And I was able to do more of that without having playing baseball. No, I love that. And I, I could definitely attest to that, you know, now that I've, I, I, I hate to say the word retired, but now that I've moved on to my second game, there's things that I have time for that I didn't, I wasn't able to embrace while playing. And so you talk about that. I think every athlete should give themselves a grace period where you may not have to figure it out right away. Um, obviously that's going to come, but use that grace period to explore different things that you may be interested in, you know, find different passions get in touch with your inner self. And then when you finally do make that transition, you're going to be in a better place for it. I love how you started off with mindset because mindset has a lot to do with, you know, finances as well. But let's talk about finances. Obviously, it was a unique situation. It's not like you went pro and had a whole bunch of capital. You started at the collegiate level. But, you know, working with so many different people across, you know, corporate, entrepreneurship, athletes, can you talk about finances from your lens what is it you know people are talking about it from all different lenses but what is personal finance finance from your lens let me see if i can paint a picture so regardless of how much money you make can be barely nothing scraps could be millions of dollars it all starts with how much money can you keep and how much money can you keep starts with budgeting and as you as athletes, we budget our training hours, we budget our time, and we have to budget our money. Because otherwise, we're just going to wonder, where'd all that money go? Oh. And my passion is budgeting. I love helping people put together a budget, stick to the budget, and they can actually see what the money is doing versus the money telling them, Hey, you should do this. <laughs> Thanks. You know, money, money doesn't come with instructions. And so we have to decipher, Hey, what do I want to spend my money on? Or what do I want? What do I want to save my money for? You know, cause that next game you had mentioned. Yeah. It's like, Hey, if I happen to have an injury ending career, then what? What do I have? To my name, how, how many dollars do I have? What can, what can I do with those dollars? And that's that's the lens that I come from. I just I really like helping people budget, and the budget tells us a lot about what you value because what yeah. you spend your money on is what you value. So, uh, what are some misconceptions around you know finances? People, I, I love what you talk about budget because it's the simplest it's, it's the simplest most basic thing, but the simplest, most basic thing sometimes is the hardest thing. But when it comes to misconceptions around finance, personal finance, what are some things that you've seen in your line of work? So 
Number one, probably misconception is that, oh, I make a bunch of money. I don't need to budget. Everyone needs to have a budget <laughs> because no matter how much money you make, you, you need to be able to tell your money what it's doing to be able to give you the freedom to save, the freedom to spend, the freedom to invest, the freedom to give, whatever that may be, right? Mm-hmm. Another misconception that I come across is I have to have a credit card to be successful. It's not necessarily true. It does help you with getting a mortgage, let's say. Um, but also, second point to that is I have to have, uh, no, the credit card gives me freedom to, to spend on whatever I want, which again is, is not true because if you don't have that impulse behavior, like, correction, if you can't control those impulses, then it's going to get out of control and then you're going to wind up in a big mess. That's true. Almost definitely. No, that's that's definitely right. And then obviously, you know, being a former collegiate athlete and, you know, seeing that sports business athlete landscape, what are some things that, you know, we can do specifically, you know, outside of budgeting when it comes to financial literacy to be more healthy, uh, more proactive around money management? So I would say little things that you can do are collect all the receipts, no matter what it is. If you pay cash, if you pay with a debit card, if you pay with a credit card, that little book of receipts that you collect or don't collect your credit card statement, that tells you a narrative of how you like to spend your money. And again, it can get away from you if you don't collect all those receipts, if you don't track where your money is going. So I would start there, you know. As you get better and better at budgeting your money, you'll be able to say, Oh, you know, I can free myself to do other fun things. It's not super limiting. I have the freedom to adjust it as necessary based on my lifestyle. As I get increases, bonuses, uh, you know, signing bonuses, uh, contract renewals, et cetera, you start to make more money. But then lifestyle creep happens. And oh, that's, think, the, that's the one thing I tell athletes. Lifestyle creep is a real thing. It's evident. It's real. We are the most marketed to culture in the nation, mm-hmm. in the in the world, probably. And everybody is vying for those dollars. You know, there are certain videos out there, music videos, TikTok, whatever you want to call it, that are influencers showing you, hey. I've got all this money and I'm, I can spend all this money because I have all of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what's important to you? What do you value? Do you value having so-and-so called friends that are there when the money's there? And then when the money's not there, you know, where are they? Who are your real friends? Uh, I, I love that you brought that up because that's a, that's a real thing that not only athletes face, but every individual that comes into money, you know, it's what I like to call emotional blackmail. Where, you know, people know that you have money and they draw at your heartstrings because you have a relationship with them and they affect how you spend, you know, how you give instead of you invest, you know, different things like that. So I love that you touched on that. Changing gears a little bit. What's one money principle you live by? You know, you've, you've lived it, you've done it. Now you're coaching others when it comes to the financial space. What's one money principle that you live by? The most recent money principle that I have implemented because I said, I'm never doing this again is buying cars cash. I do not find, I do not finance vehicles any longer. Okay. 
So this is really interesting because obviously right now we're in a unique time period and a lot of people are talking about the car market, whether it's like about to hit a, a recession, whether you should wait, cars are inflated right now, used car market, people are going to get repo. So can you dive into this specifically right now? Absolutely. And I, I realize that we are in a recession. People are struggling. They're, they're evaluating their options, right? But the good news is that they do have options. When it comes to my personal life, since I had financed two different vehicles, I saw that that monthly payment was robbing me of my future. Every single month that that payment hit, not to mention the insurance that you would need to pay on it, I couldn't keep that for myself. I had to pay that to someone else, the bank specifically. When it came time, to the next vehicle that we needed because our family expanded. We told ourselves, we're not doing this again. We're not financing. And so we scoured, we scoured. We were researching left and right, trying to find something that was reasonable. You know, we weren't going to spend 30, 40, $50,000 on a SUV or a van, something that would fit everybody, fit all of our stuff but was within our budget. And we found something thanks to my father-in-law. He was doing a lot of the research as we were preparing for our second child. And uh, it it was so seamless. It was so easy that they worked with our credit union. They made it a a smooth transaction all around. So really excited about that. I love that. And congratulations to you and your family. I, I love that it was a team effort. You know, a lot of times, why, where you see trouble with families is due to finances because everyone's on the, um, uh, not on the same page. But when you have the same page uh, between you and your partner and then also, also extended family and immediate family, it makes things way more simpler. Shifting gears again. So, Jason, you are a financial coach. Talk about that process because, you know, a financial coach is different from a financial advisor versus investment advisors or, you know, family office. Talk about your role specifically as it helps, you know, individuals seek financial freedom. So as you mentioned, I'm not an advisor. I don't tell people where they need to invest their money. I don't get paid on where they park their money. I don't sell insurances. What I really do is evaluate their emotions and walk them through, okay, how do we overcome those emotions? tied to money, as well as giving them options for their current situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a couple that was on different sides of the, the fence post when it came to a vehicle. The, the dad, he wanted to put money into the vehicle to make it safe and operational for their child. Mm-hmm. The mom wanted to build their emergency fund because she had security was something that was really valuable to her. And seeing that emergency fund increase would give her more security. And so I I walked them through and said, hey, what would it look like if you waited on some of this maintenance so that way the emergency fund could get built up so that way we can cater to her need and request? And then after that gets built up a little bit, Maybe we just cash flow some of this maintenance because if it's not pressing and it's going to keep running, it's not going to die if you don't do the maintenance, Mm -hmm. then 
you can start to put money towards that. How does that sound? And they were both like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, that's, that's an option. Like oh. we were, we were totally seeing it from our perspective and having a third party neutral person that comes in and says, I have no emotion tied to this vehicle or how safe it is or your emergency fund, anything like that. But taking two different viewpoints and saying, how about this? What do you think of that? That's just a, a particular scenario. But as a, as a coach, I ask a lot of questions to get an understanding of, of where they're at currently. And then I ask them, would you like help with that? Because if they're, if they don't think they need help with it, then it's really not a good fit. I'm, it's not an ideal client of mine. Um, if they say, if they say, yes, I want help with that, then we look at what our options are and do a deep dive or we do three months or six months or a single session. It just kind of depends. But this, this question is twofold. What's the process of becoming a financial coach? And then if someone were to ask you why a financial coach versus another form of help, like a financial advisor, what do you say to them? So let's address that first question. What's the process of becoming a financial coach? So I chose getting certified through Dave Ramsey's program. Mm -hmm. They have a very extensive course. They have different courses that you can take. And it was the Financial Coach Master Training or FCMT. I went through that program uh, late 2020, October of 2020. And I just found the content super engaging. I, mm -hmm. I thought, hey, I know about the baby steps that principles that he talks about, but not everyone does. And as I was going through the, the courses, I learned more about mortgages. I learned more about bankruptcy. I learned more about foreclosures, um, things that I had never researched before yeah. and what people might be feeling if they're going through the, those different scenarios. And so you can get certified with lots of different places to become a financial coach, but you don't really need certifications. It's just access to resources and material that you can rebrand for yourself to be able to say, Hey, I've helped X amount of people pay off X amount of debt or build X amount of savings. I've helped people restructure their, if they leave their employer for their 401k, like, Hey, recommend you roll that over so you start increasing your invest in investments. So in terms of why a financial coach versus a financial advisor or insurance agent or what, why financial coach? So like for me personally, I always tell people the most basic thing when it comes to finances is your behavior around money, your relationship with money first and foremost. So I recommend financial coach because you got to get the discipline before you understand uh, the complexities around how you're going to invest, who you're going to invest in with or different things like that. You got to get the basics down. So when people ask me, because I do a little financial coaching specifically catered to athletes, but for you, that's someone that's very experienced in this, someone I consider an expert, why financial coaching? So my specific journey, I had looked into CFP, mm -hmm. Certified Financial Planner, and it was super extensive. It was very labor intensive, a lot of studying, a lot of hours that I would need to put in. And it's very technical. And I don't, I'm not a technical guy. I'm very relational. And coaching has a lot to do with building relationships and building 
trust. CFP does too, but I find that more often than not, being a financial advisor or certified financial planner, you're focused more on building wealth through investments versus walking people through, hey, I'm struggling with paying off my car loan. I'm struggling paying off my credit card debt. I'm struggling getting over this hurdle of now that I've paid off my debt and I have this emergency fund, what do I do with this newfound money <laughs> or, or an inheritance? Um, and, and so that's why I gravitated toward coaching because that is more my niche, my relationship ability that comes through and, and meeting with people one-on-one to walk through those issues. I absolutely love doing that. No, I love that. No, I appreciate that answer because a lot of people are perplexed about all the ladders or all the webs when it comes to personal finance. You talked about the, the Dave Ramsey method. I think he's one of the leaders in the space. Um, someone I follow. Um, I really love his kind of approach. It's almost like, obviously, you got to learn the basics. You got to work hard, but you know, you got to get yourself out of the hole before you can like achieve true financial freedom. When it comes to the steps, I know different coaches have their own different spin on it. What would be your spin when it comes to, you know, building financial wealth? You know, I know you mentioned budgeting. I know you mentioned avoiding lifestyle creep, but is there anything else that you kind of sprinkle in, in terms of your, your methodology around, you know, building true financial wealth? Yeah, that's a good point. So having the knowledge of the Dave Ramsey baby steps, my coaching is based on the methodology, but seeing as how not everybody knows about Dave Ramsey, I meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so I've had clients tell me, I'm not comfortable with a thousand dollar starter emergency fund. Okay. Well, what are you comfortable with? Because that's really the first step is saving that thousand, two thousand, twenty five hundred, whatever that first starter amount is for your emergency fund. That's where it starts. You've never had the money to your name, tangible cash. That's really the first where, where, where it starts. And then building habits, building a new mindset, re- rethinking the way you go about your daily activities is it coincides with, Hey, do you have debt? Okay. Well, what, what should be the priority? Now here's, here's where it gets interesting because I did have a client come to me. And they had this personal loan that was from a bad divorce and it carried a lot of emotional weight. Now, the next step in the program would be to do a snowball, Mm -hmm. but she wanted permission to do it out of order. And I said, you are super focused. You were so motivated to have this thing paid off. I don't see why you shouldn't start with that one because it's not that far out of order based on a traditional snowball. The reason why Dave recommends a snowball is because if you start with an avalanche and you tackle the highest interest first, it takes longer. It takes a little bit longer. It's a, it's about a few months difference. Like you'll, you'll get there maybe a little bit sooner, but you want to see the momentum first. Yeah. Build momentum. Yeah. You don't want to be climbing an uphill battle as you're trying to pay stuff down. Right. You want to be able to glide along with it as you're going down the hill. And I know nobody could see my my hands movements right now. Oh, no. That's that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, 
so that's that's where being an independent financial coach is is so critical because we can make it and co-author it the best way that fits your personal scenario or situation and as long as i'm in your corner motivating you encouraging you telling you you can do this you know she paid off her credit cards she paid off her personal loan and she paid off her car the only thing that's left is a student loan but now she's investing and she's going to have a three two and a half three year plan to pay off the rest so a particular a particular uh scenario case example uh of a client previous client but um all in all, the, the principles are live, live on less than you make, understand where your money is going by tracking it and budgeting, mm-hmm. and figure out what you're doing it all for. Why are you paying off debt? Why are you building an emergency fund? Why are you investing? You want to retire early? That's great. What's your number? Right? Because it, retirement is not an age. It's a number. Yeah. This, this financial independent retire earlier fire movement is real. People are out there saving 50% of their checks in investments because they know that they're not going to work 20 or 30 years. They're doing what they love. They're passionate about it and they're, they're making money doing it, but they're also setting themselves up for a good financial future. No, I love that. I think when it comes to the last point that you made, you know, what are you doing it for? When you give your money a purpose, um, you're able to accomplish more. It's like mm-hmm. sports. When you have a goal, when you have an end goal in mind, you know, all the work that you're putting in, it gives a purpose. It gives it more excitement. You're more engaged to, you know, complete the task. And uh, I definitely love that because a lot of times people was like, oh, yeah, I want to make a lot of money. Well, it's easy to make a lot of money and still not be wealthy because you're spending a lot of it. So when you have a purpose behind your money, when you have a purpose around, you know, what your vision is, what your goals are. It, it, it keeps that North Star, keeps that roadmap for you to be, to build financial freedom, build financial wealth, whatever that looks like. Jason, when it comes to financial coaching, you talked about some of your previous clients. What are some of the things that your clients struggle with? I know we're not going to get into specifics and names, but when they come to you, what is some of the things like, all right, this is like a common thing that's happening amongst my clients? I just want to break that down because I'm I'm just naturally curious. No, that's great. So common theme is I have a goal. I have a dream. And right now I'm just stuck. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get unstuck. And I want to achieve all these things. But I feel like there's so many things that are in my way. And I'm stuck. Can you help me get unstuck? And peeling back the layers of the onions by asking all these other questions to say, all right, well, what do you really want to achieve in life? Okay, well, how are credit cards helping you do that? Right? Yeah. And that's a, that's a key question that a lot of people don't answer or ask themselves. And then they say, oh, I like the rewards. Okay, well, how are the rewards going to help you buy a house? <laughs> They're not. They're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's simple and it's silly. But at the end of the day, unless we ask those questions, you're not going to be able to get those answers that you're looking for. And so having a different mindset, because I can think clearly on someone else's budget 
and point out different things that are things that I say, hey, is this a need? Is this a want? You tell me, is it really a need or is it more of a want? And and walking through line by line and, and showing them if you take this money and put it someplace else, or if you take this payment away, what would you do with that extra etc. No, I love that. Emphasizing again, that purpose behind uh, the money. So like, what what are you doing? And, you know, you stress budget. And I love that because it's not about, you know, crypto or real estate or all these, you know, side hustles. It's we're getting down to the foundation. The foundation sets the tone for everything. Um, Within a budget, there's different things like building an emergency fund you touched on, but obviously looking at the notes and things that we discussed offline sinking funds and sinking funds is something that I, I didn't know about until, you know, I kind of got into this financial literacy space. Do you mind touching on that and giving like the audience a little bit more context to what sinking funds are? I don't mind. I love talking about it. Thanks for bringing it up, Amobi. So a sinking fund is basically a plan for a purchase that is some date in the future. Let's say you own a home. At some point, you're going to need to replace the roof. So it's taking money now, monthly. Every month, you put aside a certain amount until you get to whatever year, three years, five years, 10 years to replace the roof. And then by the time it comes, the five years or 10 years, you have enough money to cover the roof replacement. Now, if, if we're talking something a little more basic, like car insurance, it comes once a year for us and we get a discount for paying it all up front. Up front, yeah. We don't pay interest because we don't pay it monthly. We don't pay it every six months. And so what I like to do with clients is is walk them through and, and look at their insurance policy to say, could you be saving by doing this? Now for the sinking fund, we put aside a certain amount every month. And then every year when we go to pay it, the money is in a bucket. And we say, okay, here you go. You are now paid and I don't have to worry about you for another year. Now, the beauty about our insurance policy is every year we get a premium reduction. So we actually pay less each year for our insurance because it's a mutually funded policy. That's just how the, the insurance company works. And as they gain new members, they kick it out to existing members and on my card, it says 71 or 72 year member because it was a spinoff of my grandparents. So they always look at me like, you're a bit young for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love that because it talks about, it's like the, the, the minor details that can like win, win, the, win the war, win the battle, win the war. When it comes to paying up front and preparing for sinking funds, something that's really popular now is um, it's almost like a extension of credit cards. It's like afterpay or paying in installments. Can you talk about the difference between paying upfront versus paying, you know, in installments? You know, with like platforms like Klarna, uh, Afterpay. Um, you talked about it from being prepared to pay something upfront, but on the back end, why might Afterpay be detrimental? Now that's a good point. So, for most of us, we're natural procrastinators, mm-hmm. right? And so, oh, it's it's such a small payment every month over the course of, I don't know, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. I, 
I don't know what people are buying on Klarna for however long the terms are, but other things get in the way. Life gets yeah. in the way, stuff happens, medical bills, you know, and if you don't focus on it and don't pay attention to it, it'll start to accrue interest. And yeah. once it accrues interest, you actually pay more for the thing than if you were to just buy it outright at the first place. And so I don't advise people doing it. Most people aren't meticulous enough to do the 90 days, same as cash or afterpay or all the other things you mentioned. So uh, I don't advise it. Uh, I just, if we've got the cash, we'll pay, put it on a debit card because it punches right then and there Yeah, and call it a day. Okay. I like that. I feel like we covered a lot. Well, and let, let's let's touch base on one other thing that I wanted to bring up about sinking funds. Okay, perfect. For, for those of us who celebrate certain holidays that happen in December, <laughs> uh, such as Christmas, it happens once a year. And everybody's surprised by it, even though it happens once a year. And so <laughs> sinking funds are, are great for that because if you want to set a limit of how much you want to spend on your family, on your friends, um, you know, extended family, whatever, just spontaneous gifts. You can have a sinking fund set up, uh, set aside. Uh, every month you put a little bit of your paycheck and you're not going to miss that little bit. It could be $20. It could be $50. However much you want to spend, you just break it out over the course of, you know, now or August. So four months and then. Yeah. By the time Christmas comes, you have that money set aside and you can go pay for everything, cash, debit, whatever. Now, I like that a lot because I remember when I first, you know, came into some money, I would wait till last minute. And if I had already like budgeted out, not to say that, you know, I was struggling to make the gifts, but it's just just peace of mind in general. You're not having to like pay for everything at one time because you're creating these sinking funds. And, you know, me personally, I love the sinking fund model for like vacation and travel. I think it's just when you when you send it aside, it's giving and I, we're touching on it again. It's giving purpose to your money. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you know, breaking that down and uh, providing more context. A lot of the discussion was about you know our discipline, our mindset, and then also knowledge. When it comes to financial literacy, where did you get your knowledge from, and what resources do you have for us that may may be trying to learn more about finances? Oh yeah, I feel like that's a loaded question. It's been it's been an ongoing fun journey. I think the last five or six years, but it really comes from a lot of different places. I read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover back in 2009, but there's a lot of other books that he has and his team have the personalities. But I'm also expanding to things like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, very, very key book in rethinking the self-employed business owner, investor, or employee all those different entities, which one do you want to be? And for the most part, wealthy people are investors. Yep. And it just depends on what you're investing it in and what's going to be your best return. Now, I also have been reading and, and just finished a really great book called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. That is a on one. That's on, my, that's, on my, that's on my watch list, I think, too. Yeah, you... Tomorrow, right or today? No, don't don't put it off, right? Because we talked okay. about procrastination. Yeah, uh, Morgan Housel, the psychology of money. I finished it. There's, it's loaded with content. It walks you through a lot of basic principles, a lot of basic, uh, simple ideas 
that you can gravitate to and, and create your own ideology around. Um, but st- practical things that you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm looking at these other examples and I don't want my life to look like that. Great. Um, you know, another, another one that I'm reading is The Heart of Money by Deborah Price. She's a certified money coach. Um, they, they take on more of the counseling role versus, okay. uh, just a coach. Cause I know there's a fine line between counselor and coach. I typically don't cross that just because I'm not accredited. I'm not licensed. Uh, so I stay in my lane. And if it's something that requires a counselor, I'll refer that out. Um, but all in all, there's, there's so many good books out there. So much knowledge. Take run with it. You know, piques my curiosity whenever I hear about a new book. And, and if I get a recommendation, I just devour books in hours, in days and in, in weeks. It's taken a little longer now that I have two little ones, but mm-hmm. no, I <laughs> when that. I do have that time, I, I love, I love reading. Um, and just reading articles, even going on LinkedIn, your, your content into these podcasts, it's given me fresh new insights on how to talk to different people, especially about NIL. Um, cause you got to be budgeting your time, your money, your, your assets, um, because you are your own CEO at that point. And, and what kind of life do you want at the end, you know, down the road? No, that's, that's really great advice. And definitely what you said about the information is out there. You just got to, you know, be proactive about seeking it. It's been a pleasure to get you to know you over the past couple of months. And I'm sure we'll be keeping in touch moving forward. But for people that want to connect with you, do you have anything you want to leave with the audience? And then how can they connect with you? Yeah. So first thing I want to say is, is personal finance is personal. Not everything is a one size fits all. You can have a very unique situation. And if you're open to having a stranger speak a little bit of guidance and insight based on money mistakes that I've made in the past, uh, and, and then also helping other clients walk through what they're going through, uh, you know, I'd love to be a resource. Um, I do have an offer for those that are listening to this. Um, it's $100 off of budget deep dive if you mentioned the word frugal. Oh. Um, because I love helping people. And uh, if, if you get at me, um, you can find me on Instagram, at Madison Financial Coaching. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Madison Financial Coaching. Uh, you can email me, Madison Financial Coaching at gmail.com. I'm sure it might be all in the show notes, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely in the show notes. That's the first time someone has offered their services with the frugal name as a discount. So make sure you take advantage. Jason is someone that, you know, is as good as they come. You, you ask 10 people about Jason, you're going to get 10 positive responses. Been there, done that from a collegiate athlete standpoint. And then now in the financial coaching space, uh, I'm honored to have you on the show. Um, so we're definitely going to have all the information in the show notes. I'm definitely going to touch base with Jason again, just to make sure we get the wording right, but tap in for sure. Before I continue to go on my rant, Jason, continue and close us out. Yeah. Moby, thank you so much for having me on. This was such a fun conversation. I love talking about money. I love talking with like-minded people. Um, just athletes, they want to win yeah. and I help people win with their money. And I look forward to helping those people that want that help that are stuck, that are trying to figure out how do I put all this stuff together? 
uh, I, I could be your third party accountability partner. So. No, I love that. And, and just to close, I love what you said about personal finance is personal. You know, we're getting a lot of information. Um, it's all about what you apply to your personal situation. There's many ways to the top of the mountain, whether you want to make money via real estate, via side hustles, via uh, corporate, via, you know, living on half your income, entrepreneurship. It's personal to you. Jason is just a conduit to help you win there. Like myself, a frugal athlete. But I think that's that's something I'm going to take away from this show. And uh, hopefully you guys follow up with Jason. We'll see you guys on the next episode. If you like this podcast and other podcasts within a frugal athlete, please rate and review. Uh, It helps us continue to get discovered. It helps us continue to convince wonderful guests like Jason to come on. And uh, we appreciate you. So that's it for this week. Uh, Make sure you guys check out the show notes and we'll catch you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.